We just stepped on their face with a hobnailed boot and broke their nose. One, two, three. Bullshit. Welcome to the Tide Run Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Dave Bethay, coming to you today from the House of Pain Studios. Talk to you about UGA Spring Football because while I love talking about the NFL draft and all the theoretical things that happen in football, I got to go on campus this week and see some real football, and I can't wait to share with you what I saw. If you're new to this show, please make sure to like and subscribe on your podcasting platform. You can follow us on social media or email us, Sports at gmail.com. So as most of you know, if you're regular listeners or know me personally, I am a high school football coach. I will live and work in the Athens area. And every year before COVID, UJ has had a high school football coaches clinic where you're able to go watch them practice, sit in whiteboard meetings with the position coaches, and even sit in film sessions while they are coaching their kids going over practice film. So I took the advantage of doing that again this year. The last time I got to do it was 2019, prior to COVID, the last year that Jake Fromm was starting quarterback. And so I got to stand down on the field and watch about two hours and 15 minutes of practice over two days. And I wanted to take some time and share some of the stuff that I took away directly related to UJ football and some of the takeaways I had just in general about college football programs. So the first takeaway I have just in general was – Having not been on campus and seen these guys in person in about two years, the size of the players blows me away every time. And when I say that, people always picture guys like Darnell Washington, who we all know is huge, or any of the offensive linemen, or someone like a Jordan Davis. I'm not talking about those guys. What blows me away is when you walk by someone like Akili Ringo, and you're like, holy crap, he really is 6'2", and he is huge. Or... I'm walking by this guy, one of the outside linebackers, watermelon-sized thighs, big old barrel chest, long, long muscular arms. He turns around, and it's Nolan Smith, (laughs) who I guess is listed somewhere around 240 pounds, and he looks like he's all of 260, and he's running down the sideline with Kenny McIntosh on a wheel route. So just the size of these guys, the sheer size of these guys just blows me away. Xavier Trust is a giant. And even some of the guys that look skinny and unimpressive on film, like Christopher Smith, he was a corner in high school. He always looked small on film. He was about 170 pounds when he was at Hateville Charter. And he walks by me on the field. I'm like, crap, I'm 5'10 and a half. He's taller than me. Another guy, Aaron Smith, who is legitimately six feet tall. And they don't look that on film. And it just makes me appreciate the height, weight, speed aspect of college football. That is such a big part of what these schools recruit. They recruit to a profile, an athletic profile. Yes, they want guys with skill. A receiver that's six foot four and runs a four two forty doesn't matter if he cannot catch the ball and get open against SEC defensive backs. However, there is a profile they recruit, and in general, the athletes they get are just bigger, stronger, and faster than the ones that most other schools have. So that was one of my takeaways. Now, moving away from that, one of the first things most people ask me about is just the depth chart. So I'll go through what I saw. Try to make this not take too terribly long, but talk about who I saw and what they're playing and who was where, starting with the offense. Obviously, we know QB1 is Stetson Bennett. Carson Beck was taking some first-team reps, rotating in when I got to watch them do seven-on-seven. Brock Vandergriff was taking the third-team reps, and then some of the other guys split reps. I saw a teeny little bit 
of Gunnar Stockton. He didn't get a ton of work, but he was at least out there getting some reps. And then moving over to the wide receivers, the first group was the same three guys most of the time I was there, and that was A.D. Mitchell playing the outside receiver, Marcus Rosamy, Jack Saint playing the other outside receiver, and Lad McConkey at the slot. And just looking at A.D. Mitchell and Rosamy Jack Saint, those are two good-looking kids. I mean, they are big, strong, and fast. And just seeing them up close, they just—they're impressive athletes. And McConkey was kind of the opposite. He was smaller and skinnier than I thought. He moves extraordinarily well, which you would imagine for a UJ receiver. But I mean, he wasn't much bigger than me. And I guess I pictured him being a little bit closer to like six foot six one, and he looks like he's closer to about five ten, five eleven ish. But he was taking the majority of the first team reps from the slot. On the second group, working with Carson Beck's offensive group, was Aaron Smith on the outside, Jackson Meeks on the outside, and then Dom Blaylock working a lot of the slot. And he looks like he is back to the guy that we saw, you know, 2019 or whatever his freshman year was. so long ago, I can't even remember. Um, Having watched John Mechie this past year, that's kind of what I pictured Dominic Blaylock being in college, having coached against him a couple times in high school. He's one of those guys that nothing he does really impresses you, but he does it all well. He knows how to get open. He catches the football. He probably is not going to be a guy that breaks 80-yard touchdowns, but he's a guy that's going to catch you a lot of third down and be really effective at moving the sticks. And that's kind of a little bit of what I got to see him do in the time that he was on the field uh, this past Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. So he looks like he is back to what I think is 100%. Obviously, now he's got to work himself back into the rotation. When I say that I think John Mechie is a good comparison for him, I don't think that he's ever going to catch 1,100 yards worth of passes. I just think that's the type of player you're looking for. And understanding that UJ threw the ball last year, I believe, 180 times less than Alabama. I don't know when the next time is UJ will have a 1,000-yard receiver. and Heck, it might be a tight end. Who knows? But um, I just think that that's the kind of player that you can expect Blaylock to be. And if you're expecting him to be more than that, you're probably going to be disappointed. Moving over to running back, it's the two that you thought, KM, Kendall Milton, and KM, Kenny McIntosh. Saw more totes for Milton and more catches and passing targets for McIntosh. Milton is big and athletic. He looks very much like Najee Harris, which is the comparison that Scott and I have used for a couple years. He's just big, strong upper body. He looks good. If we can keep him healthy, the guy is really good. And McIntosh is what we think he is. He looks explosive and shifty, which is something you already know if you've watched him. And those two took all the first-team reps with, and this was a surprise to me, Dejon Edwards taking almost all the second-team reps at running back. Didn't see much of Branson Robinson, so I thought that was interesting. And I'm not sure if he's hurt. I did not see him out on the field during the time I was out there, so it could be an injury issue. Or it could simply be the fact that I'm not sure he's enrolled, and I don't really know how all that works. So he may very well not be enrolled yet, which is why I did not see him out there on the field. Because a guy that jacked, <laughs> because a guy like him is one that's going to be kind of hard to miss. Moving over to tight end, as a lot of you know, UJ's tight ends are beat up in the spring. Brock Bowers is not practicing. Darnell Washington was on the field with a boot and a scooter. So Brett Seether and Eric Gilbert took almost all of the first team snaps at tight end. Anytime they were in an attached set, it was Gilbert lining up attached to the tackles. And I have to tell you, there was rumors of him cutting weight to try to come to Georgia and play outside receiver. Having seen him in person, if that was ever a real consideration, it is extraordinarily foolhardy. He has got about the most tight end body you can imagine. He is broad-shouldered, thick-hipped, thick-ankled, moves well, 
But I'll put it this way. When the offensive line was lined up and he was attached, I had to check numbers to make sure he wasn't a tackle. And I'm not saying he's fat or out of shape. I'm just saying he is a big-bodied guy. He's not Darnell Washington, but he's in that mold. And he was doing a whole lot of blocking and running a whole lot of underneath routes where he made some good contested catches on tight window throws. So add him to the best tight end room maybe in the history of college football. And speaking of which, there was a freshman tight end, some guy named Oscar Delp, who apparently is supposed to be pretty good. Yeah, that guy's a freak. Long, long frame, one's like a wide receiver. I hate to compare anybody to Brock Bowers, but he looks like another Bowers. I mean, the guy moves like a wide receiver, and he has got this big, long frame, was making catches with people draped all over him. He's another freak in a room full of freaks. It's ridiculous. Um, and then moving over to the offensive line, the ones were Broderick Jones, Xavier Truss, Van Pran, Devin Willock, and Warren McClendon. And then the twos were Ernest Green, Micah Morris, Warren Erickson, Austin Blasky, and Chad Lindbergh. Amarius Mims was not out there. Later on, I found out that he apparently is in concussion protocol. Moving over to the defense, and this is what I know a lot of you were wondering about. Cornerbacks were obviously Keely Ringo, who goes to the one receiver side, and he is the lockdown matchup corner this year. There's no question he's CB1. By the end of last year, he was already CB1. I'm telling you, he's a lot better than Darian Kendrick. But opposite him was... Kamari Lassiter, who took all of the first team reps at the other outside corner. Behind them, you also saw Nylon Green, who looked really, really good. And that dude's listed at six foot one, and he's got these go-go gadget arms that make him like he's six five. I mean, he's just so long and he moves well. But Lassiter did some good things, matched up on AD Mitchell a lot, and uh, he looked good. And Ringo is Ringo. He's just he's he's built different, y'all. He just is. At safety, you had. Christopher Smith, obviously returning, and then Dan Jackson with David Daniel rotating in, splitting reps with them. Obviously, with Smith being as experienced as he is, he could take some mental reps and not have to necessarily be in. But Daniel was clearly rotating with that first group of safeties, and I imagine he's going to be part of the regular rotation until Tyke Smith becomes healthy. Because Friday, Tyke Smith was out there at the walkthrough practice in a knee brace, lined up right next to Daniel, Dan Jackson taking all of the mental reps. And I say mental reps because all they're doing is looking at a card and everybody's walking to their spots in the field. So there's not any live tackling. There's, the ball's not being thrown. And what they do is they have the ones in the 1A stand, one in the front and one behind them. So Dan Jackson standing right there with David Daniel standing right behind him, and they're both going through the same fit together. And then you have on the other side, Tyke Smith lined up behind Christopher Smith or Dan Jackson, whoever's in. And he's going through all of the steps that they would make on their reads with an entity brace. So they have Tyke Smith working at safety, which I thought was interesting because I predicted when he first transferred in that he would play star, which when he played last year is where he did play. And with him having so much success at West Virginia in the slot, I thought that's where he'd project because he's kind of that hybrid that they've been looking for. But he is playing deep safety, and I'd imagine that if he can get back fully healthy, he'll take that spot, splitting time with Dan Jackson. Unless William Poole, who was a starting star in the practices that I saw, struggles, and then I wouldn't be surprised to see Smith bump back down into that spot. Behind Poole at the star position, which is, of course, George's nickel position, their slot corner or slot defensive back, was Javon Bullard. And then Malachi Starks got some second-team reps and ran mostly with a third team. Um, no, he will not be starting as a freshman. And people that thought that, I'll just go ahead and tell you, it was kind of a ridiculous thought, and I'll explain why later, but he's not anywhere close to being in the rotation. 
at outside linebacker, you had Beal and Nolan Smith. And then you also had Chaz Chambliss getting a lot of run. And he's another one of those guys, as I watched the outside linebacker drills, the dude looks like he has done nothing but eat and lift weights his entire life. I mean, Jack doesn't even describe it. I'm going to go old school and say Chaz, Chambliss, and Nolan Smith are swole. That's the only word I can use to describe them. They are just muscles on top of muscles, thick kids that can move. And God, Chambliss can run, y'all. At inside linebacker, you had Tresman Marshall and Jamon Dumas-Johnson taking all the first-team reps. They do not look like Quay Walker and Channing Tindall. They are shorter, thicker, both built a lot more in the N'Kobe Dean mold. I don't think they run as well as Tindall or Quay Walker, but they looked good in a little bit that I saw. Marshall had a big old huge knee brace on, but was practicing full contact with it. And I got to see uh, Jamon Dumas-Johnson make a nice curl flat drop and tip a ball for an interception to Dan Jackson. So I didn't get to see them do a lot of anything special, but they are definitely going to be the guys inside, and they got some big shoes to fill. On the DL, I'll be honest, I was focused more on the secondary and the back end, so I didn't watch a lot of what they were doing. But up front, it was Javon Carter, Walther, and I'm going to say it named Logue or Logue. I can never say his name right. Zion, but I know a lot of people have been asking about him. I did not watch them specifically. Um, I do know that the first offense struggled to run the ball, and Kirby let them know about it. (laughs) Uh, He was not pleased with the way they ran the ball and the fact that we had a couple – and the fact that there was a few – Bumbled exchanges and things like that. And Kirby let them know what he thought about it, which was interesting. So that was the depth chart, which I know is probably the part that people are most interested in. And I know a few of y'all sent me questions to answer about what I observed. So let me share a few other observations. One of the questions is which true freshman could see the field. And I'll go ahead and tell you, I don't know that you will ever see a true freshman play in the back seven of a Kirby Smart team, at least not to start the beginning of the year. So like I said, the talk of Malachi Stark walking in and starting at star was always silly. I thought it was, but now that I'm watching where he is in the depth chart, I really think it was. And one of the reasons I'm so adamant about that is having now sat through their position meetings and watched all of the different nuanced coverages they run, knowing the little bit that I do about their scheme, there are so many details that they have to be aware of to run that scheme correctly there is no way that an incoming freshman, even one that starts as a mid-year enrollee, would be able to do that at game one. And we've seen guys that by the end of the year can get in and play some, but there is just no way that by year one these guys are going to be able to grasp the scheme. And it's not so much that what they're asking people to do is hard. It's that there's just a lot of, for lack of a better word, nuance to what they run. And I'll give you an example. For example, they have four different ways to play bunch trips. One way is a four-man box. Another way is a three-man match coverage. And within that three-man match coverage, they have three different ways to match the routes with that bunch set. So again, if your head's about to explode, imagine how a freshman feels coming in. Just to give you another example, they have a coverage called mod, which means man-on-demand. So a cornerback that gets a mod call is supposed to read the release of the receiver. And if the receiver gives a hard inside release, the corner then converts from man to deep quarter zone. But if the receiver gives a vertical release, he locks on man and stays with that receiver all the way through his route. So again, so again, they run all these match coverages where you're supposed to reinteract the routes. You have to run, you have different assignments based on the releases. And it's just a lot for a young person to process. 
That, in addition to all the stuff they do with their linebackers, especially at the outside linebacker, where you have to match coverage responsibilities with run fits, it's a lot. And that's why I say I'm not sure that there will ever be a true freshman that starts in a Kirby Smart secondary from day one. Now, having said that, I know a few years ago, Tyson Campbell got a lot of playing time right from the jump. And if you remember, wasn't very good. Same thing about Patrick Sertan back at Alabama. He played a lot as a freshman, but he wasn't very good as a freshman. And you saw how Kool-Aid McKinstry got beaten up as a true freshman, five-star all-world defensive back last year. Because what they asked those guys to do in these schemes, and the Saban and Smart schemes are obviously very similar with Smart being a Saban disciple. Heavy two high looks and a lot of cover seven principles. It's a lot. So it's a lot. Now, on the offensive side of the ball, if there is one freshman I think can see the field, it's Oscar Delp based on what I saw. And I don't know whose reps you take when you have three three NFL tight ends in front of you, but that kid is another freak and a position group full of them. And I've never heard of a team going 14 personnel, but I wouldn't be surprised if UJ does it. And just have Kenny McIntosh or Kendall Milton back there with four tight ends and then split two of them out. And you can throw fades to Brock Bowers and uh, Oscar Delp or run seam routes with Darnell Washington and Arik Gilbert. But I just, I don't know how they'll do that. I do also think that Brett Seether is a pretty decent looking tight end. And what I imagine we will see a lot more of is three tight end sets where you have two attached tight ends and one tight end playing the H-back position. Because UJ has all but gotten rid of the fullback, just like most people have in their offenses, and replaced with the H-back position. And I think you'll see a lot of what you saw last year, which is the three tight end sets, where all of them can get out on routes. And I think you will see a lot more vertical passing to the tight ends this year. A um, couple of final thoughts to wrap up here. Who stood out? I really noticed Stetson Bennett um, for the simple fact that when you watched him, to me, he was clearly the best quarterback. And I say that based on just decision-making, and the precision with his reads. When Bennett was in there with 7-on-7, seven seven, it was snap, balls out, balls out, balls out. Flat route, slant, deep out. I mean, he was so decisive and precise with his decisions and his timing. If Kirby Smart and Todd Munkin are watching that every day, and that's what they also saw last year, it helps you understand, at least me as a fan, understand why they were putting him out there. And I'll give you another example of this. When I went and watched in 2019, I got to see Jake Fromm do his red zone drills. I don't think that during the entire red zone drill, the ball touched the ground. They would blitz Fromm, he hits the back. They would bracket one receiver, he would throw a dot to the back line of the end zone where the guy would toe tap. I watched Jake Fromm in practice, and he was absolutely untouchable. And all I could think was, if this is what they watch every day, I can see how they thought he was better than Justin Fields. I mean – And I know that sounds crazy because we know what those two have turned into, but when you see what they see at practice, it helps you understand these guys want to win and they're going to put the best guy out there. And so I can see in Stetson Bennett why they would look at him in practice and say, this guy gives us the best chance to win. I really do. Other quarterback that stood out was Carson Beck. My gosh, has he improved. He has got such a lively arm. The ball is up fast. He was accurate. He was completing balls into tight windows. Man, he has improved tremendously. I am going to say that he is no longer the person most likely to transfer because I think this job's his to lose if Bennett struggles or gets hurt. It's going to be Beck, and I'll be honest, if Bennett gets hurt the way Beck looked, he might not get the job back. 
So we'll see what happens there. And then obviously I've already mentioned this, but Oscar Delp, just with his athleticism and his ability to catch the ball, was really impressive also. And one of the things that's also very clear is who the leaders are. Nolan Smith is absolutely the sheriff. He's getting on to people. They're supposed to be doing thud when Nolan comes off and they make a really weak arm tackle. And his response was, that's an effing terrible thud. <laughs> I was like, this is awesome. Christopher Smith also is kind of like the grandpa in the secondary. He's the one that's going around, making the calls, coaching up the other guys in the backfield because, you know, as a fifth or sixth-year senior, he's seen it all and done it all. So he's one of the guys that really stood out as a leader on the defense as well. A couple other just general observations and questions. Uh, I got asked who was the best receiver that I saw, and from my time out, there was pretty clearly a Donnie Mitchell. They were trying to get him the ball. They used him a lot vertically. He got thrown the ball a lot vertically. And he looked by far just to be the most polished and best option for us. Um, he's definitely WR1 as far as I can tell. And I was also asked what surprised me most about seeing practice. I would say that the biggest surprise is the change in Kirby's demeanor. When I went in 2019, Kirby, who has always been a high-energy upbeat coach, he coached like he was on crack that day. And if you don't know, he walks around with a microphone that he uses to kind of direct practice there's a big loudspeaker on a tower and he kind of coaches with the microphone giving instructions telling people what period they're in where to go who to go where and like I said he was just it was like he had drank 55 Red Bulls before we got out there in 2019 this year much more measured much more chill he wasn't talking on the microphone non-stop like he was Duke Tango at an and one mixtape tour event <laughs> which is how it kind of felt in 2019 it was a lot more measured and calculated. And so the change in his demeanor was noticeable to me. And I don't know if that has anything to do with the national championship or if that's just a change in how he's coaching as he's matured a little bit more as a head coach. But that was noticeable. And another observation I had was Will Muschamp uh, got to sit in his whiteboard session and watching on the field. He is not the red-faced guy you saw yelling on TV. It's funny because like having spent that time in his chalk talk session – that seems like it's almost a caricature of who he really is. He spent time at practice wearing his grandpa glasses, pushed weight on the end of his nose. Yes, he really does coach like that. And just calmly going through his practice scripts, he walks around and teaches and gives feedback. And sitting in his whiteboard session, I was really impressed. He's a good teacher. Not only does he know a lot of football, which you know all these guys do, he was really good at articulating the why behind they do things and even talking about the reasons why they don't try other schemes. And one coach had asked him about running five-man pressures, uh, six-man pressures with five-man zone behind it. And Muschamp told him what you could do and why other people that use that scheme aren't successful with it and why he doesn't like it. And it's just, he's a guy you can tell has seen a lot. He knows a lot. He knows what he likes, what he doesn't like. And again, his ability to articulate the why behind what they do, I was really impressed with. So I'm guessing he's a great teacher and um, I, I'm guessing he's going to be really beneficial to have as a co-DC. Which, another observation, the co-DC thing is real. Schumann basically coaches the front and Muschamp runs the back end. And it's kind of like having a run game coordinator and a passing coordinator on the defense. So that was really interesting to watch. And they really were co-DCing it. And I thought that was really interesting way of – and I thought the division of labor was a really cool way to do it, and it seems to really be working. And Schumann was very much actively coaching on the field, as was Brian McLennan. He's one of the ones that I noticed. He seems to me to be very much a teacher. And you can tell the guys that are teachers by the way they approach. When somebody messes up, they're pulling them aside, 
talking them through a lot of scheme and technique stuff and then sending them back out there as opposed to when I was in school at UJ and you had guys like Fabris that are yellers and F-bombers. And not that it said you can't do that, but these guys are really teaching and you can see that. And I think that's a great approach to coaching. That's the way I like to approach coaching myself. A couple last thoughts as for special teams. I got to see a little bit of punt and the punts were terrible. So we are already very much missing Jake Camarda and a little bit that I saw. Did not get to see us kick, but I did get to see us practice our return game. They spent about 15 minutes doing return drills, and they had a lot of the starters in as blockers setting up their wedge or whatever kind of return they were running. I'm not sure what the scheme was. But a lot of guys that are dudes, like dude dudes, out there running through these schemes, practicing blocking. So that seems to be a point of emphasis from the upcoming year is blocking on kickoff and punt returns. So that's what I saw. I'll be interested to see how much this changes from the time of this recording to the G-Day game itself and if a lot of these trends continue. As a UJ fan, it was really cool to stand there up close and watch the team that I grew up loving practice and to see the people that you know are kind of like superstars to us fans right there in person. As a coach, I was in hog heaven getting instructed on scheme, getting to learn more about how they run things, getting to see their drills, and getting to get a little bit of insight on what who the coaches are and how they go about their business. So that was an awesome, awesome, awesome experience. And I, like all of you, am really, really looking forward to the 2022 season. This has been Dave Bethay for the Tide Run Sports Podcast. That's it for today. Thank you for listening.